Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, here we are back for uh, a follow-up episode. Uh, We have been uh, in and out of our series, Jesus in the Old Testament. We did a one-off a few weeks ago on politics in the pulpit, and we got a lot of feedback about that, and uh, most of it good, but but from some listeners who said, well, what about this? And, and this is the nature, obviously, Gage, with a monologue or a, a podcast, is that it's not dialogical. That is to say, we're, there's not an easy way for you to interrupt us while we're talking and say, but what about this? What about that? And so where so there are times when we need to say, do a follow-up episode called Here's What We're Not Saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, because any any conversation, any conversation about any topic is uh especially uh, a 30-minute podcast like ours, we're gonna leave things out. We're going to generalize. And so we just want to come along later and say, um, don't mishear us on this. But before we get into that, uh, we want to tell our listeners that we are a part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and think that you should uh, search them out, uh, the Society of Reformed Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. They have a mega feed that will subscribe you automatically to Assurance of Pardon and Guilt, Grace, Gratitude and Distilling Theology uh, and all of the ones in the family of podcasts. So we would love for you to check that out and support our fellow podcasters there. Um, Gage, tell us a little bit about what we, some ways in which we might have been misheard in our politics episode that we want to address today. Yeah, so um, the, some of the feedback we got from some of our listeners were, Okay, yeah, I understand the perspective you're taking is that you can't have an answer for for everything, nor should the pulpit be you know, about foreign policy or about vaccination statuses or whatever. Um, but what about any ethical issue? Like, does does the scripture not speak to moral issues of our day, like abortion, like slavery, like uh, homosexuality, things like that? So does does the scripture does scriptures ever allow for you to speak on those things this listener in particular thought it does and thought that gives us the imperative to need to speak and and while i, I totally understand that and and understand that the scriptures do two things yes i think the scriptures do give us a a moral law concern here's what we mean when we say moral law right um when you think about the law in the old testament uh it it falls into three categories there's the civil law 
right? Like what you, how you should conduct yourself as a society. There's the ceremonial law, all those laws that were given in the Old Testament having to do with sacrificial systems and things like that, festivals and, and cleansings. Um, and then there was the moral law and the, the catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments, that the Ten Commandments are the way in which we understand how how we should live. And as you think about the Ten Commandments, we talked about this a little bit in our um, episode on Exodus, that the first table deals with how we should love God, uh, and the second table deals with how we should love our neighbor, right? And so this this is the way in which we um, think about the law God has given us. And even in that, we understand that there are multiple uses of the law in the life of the Christian, right? Um, you'll hear this oftentimes that there are three uses or there's a first, second, and the third use. In other words, that the law serves as a mirror, right? We look at the law, we realize our shortcomings and we realize our inability to keep it, right? Right. We um, Then the second use is the law is used to curb sin. Romans talks about this when it talks about the the government serving as an agency or an appointed hand by God by which the sword is used to curb um, the lawbreaker. Uh, this right. is where where we get into things like capital punishment and the prison systems and, th- and and things of that nature. And then there's the what we call the third use of the law, and that's where we use uh, the moral law, the Ten Commandments in a ethical or how you should then live way in the life of the Christian. And so I do think that the scripture gives us some moral law uh, commandments. And I do think that there are ethical demands for life in the kingdom. Yeah, those third uses of the law, uh, a mirror, a curb, and a guide, as sometimes they are helpfully said. Uh, And and when you say a curb, I always think this is a helpful thing. A sign that says speed limit, 25 miles an hour, does not eliminate speeding. The law can't do that, uh, What? but but it does curb speeding. That 25-mile-per-hour sign uh, doesn't mean that nobody will speed, but it is going to mean that you may have a lot of people going uh, 30 and 35 rather than 95. So the, the the law does serve as a as a curb, a check on on speeding. And so yeah, a mirror, a curb, and a guide on how we then live, the third use, how do I then live in love of God and love of neighbor uh, in this world? Yeah, and I, and I think we have to remember because this is a podcast by Presbyterians and we are trying to, to talk in, in reformed theology concepts. I think it helps that we remember who we are. We remember why we do the things that we do, the ways in which we do them. One of the things we do is we have catechesis, right? We have a question and answer format by which we learn theology and what we believe and why we believe it is summarized summarized in the Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism and the Westminster Confession of Faith, or if you're a part of a a different denomination outside the PCA, maybe you you use um, other Reformed confessions like Heidelberg, like the Belgic Confession, um, like 
uh, others and you would be more of what's called a three forms of unity or three different kind of traditional confessions sort of people. Either way, whether you're Reformed Baptist, whether you're Presbyterian, whether you're Lutheran, whether you're Anglican, historically, we've all taught our children and our people um, what we believe and why we believe it through this question and answer format. All that to say, if we're making disciples using catechesis, right, using this question and answer format, then we're going to eventually get to the section on the Ten Commandments. The right. Lutherans do it. The Presbyterians do it. The Anglicans do it. The the Reformed Baptists do it. We all get there in, in our, our questions about the Ten Commandments. Why? Because we're going to use the Ten Commandments to help us understand then how we should live in light of who we are as Christians. And so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We don't have to go, okay, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday, so I have to talk about abortion today. No, like right now, I'm taking my students through a series on the Ten Commandments. Why am I doing this? Because each week we're getting into different ways in which we can understand how we should think about uh, our lives as Christians through the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath, commandment number four, is talked about more than anything else in the Old Testament. There's a reason for that. The Sabbath points to a bigger and better rest in Jesus. But more importantly, I mean, or alongside that, when you get into the thing in the second table, like how you should uh, honor your father and mother, that also gets into discussion about authority, right? How should the Christian think about submitting to authorities like governments? Uh, when we get into um, don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness, now that gets into, into ethical things like abortion, like end of life, like how we should interact with people on the internet and on social media. And so that's how we're using then the third use to apply the moral law. Teaching the moral law um, as a way to love God and love neighbor, teaching that is going to mean that we are necessarily going to be pushing back against the culture. What are ways that our unbelieving world calls us to have other gods before the, the true God of the Bible? What are ways in which our unbelieving world sanctions, condones, or encourages murder, or adultery, or theft, or bearing false witness? What are, what are ways that we can be guilty of this? Our three enemies, the world, our flesh, and the devil. How does, how does our flesh call me to commit adultery? How does the world invite me to do that? How does the devil invite me to do that? How do I think, you mentioned social media, um, the way in which Christians engage on social media, uh, uh, sadly is, uh, so sadly not, very different than the way the world engages in it. Think about how quickly we can be prone to bear false witness against our neighbor. Think about how prone we can be, how quickly we can be prone to bear false witness about our theological opponents to ascribe, to describe their view in a way that they would never recognize. Um, and, and because we're doing it in the name of promoting our own particular theology, uh, we, we consider it's totally fine because they're wrong and we're right. We're bearing false witness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And here's the thing. This isn't something that the reformers came up with in the 1500s and 1600s, right? This is coming straight from Paul. 
for example. If you look at Ephesians chapter four, in the latter part of the chapter, after he's going to get into what unity in the spirit looks like and what speaking the truth and love looks like, he's then going to say, and don't walk like the Gentiles. What does he mean? Well, the, the irony here is he's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Ephesians. So what does he mean? He's saying, don't walk like the world. And then he tells you how not to do that. Let the thief no longer steal, but work for what so that he can actually give from his abundance. Uh, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Be angry and do not sin. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only is such for building up. What is Paul doing? All Paul is doing there is applying the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't. Uh, harm your neighbor. Don't commit adultery. Don't have other gods um, other than Yahweh, and don't don't create images um, of Yahweh in, in ways that that He has not revealed Himself. All Paul is doing is using the moral law in that moment to apply ethical li- living to the Christians, and I think that goes back to, and we've done episodes on this before, uh, Scott. That goes back to why we're going to lean towards um, expositional preaching, as in preaching through books of the Bible, through sections, verse by verse, and applying those things over and above a thematic way of doing things or a topical way of doing things. Do we think themes and topics are sinful? No, we don't. Jesus obviously took a thematic approach in the Sermon on the Mount, but we think through applying the text and the whole counsel of God in a way that we can understand going through books, the Bible verse by verse is the best way to kind of guard us from theological hobby horses, right? Getting on our soapbox about the thing that we really care about uh, socially or whatever, and, and beating that drum every single week. It, it, it guards us against ourselves, but also what it allows us to do in situations like what uh, we've gotten feedback on in topics like politics in the pulpit it allows us to, as we're going through books of the Bible and different situations come up in the in the books, whether it's an epistle, whether it's a historical account in the Old Testament, whether it's the Gospels, we can take those chunks and opportunities to address things that are going on in our culture. And I think that's the best way to do it. Amen. And and again, we're pushing back here against in in our in in our position here. We're pushing it back against. Uh, a trend in churches that would talk more about COVID masks, Afghanistan, um, um, and politics more than they would talk about the finished work of Christ. Uh, and they would wax eloquently about economic, ec- economic, uh, policies, whether it be uh, on the left promoting some sort of, uh, of redistributive wealth or on the right, as it would talk about lowering taxes uh, to this particular level, um, that's just not in the wheelhouse of a minister of the gospel. That is just not something we don't see Paul or the apostles or Jesus giving policy prescriptions for how uh, Israel or the Roman Empire was to be uh, was to be uh, conducted. They don't engage in that. And I think too, it, it's important to say 
do we think a Christian should never engage in politics? No, we're not saying that at all. I think you're free to do that. We even see the reformers um, and um, the the divines, the guys that came up with uh, the Westminster Confession, for example. All of those guys were in political office. You think about William Wilberforce and, and others that fought in England to abolish slavery, those guys were involved in politics. Um, the Christian is free to get involved in, in the, the day-to-day um, issues of where they're planted, right? That's doctrine of vocation. You loving your neighbor, and maybe one of the ways you love your neighbor is to ensure that, that the policies that are put forward are the the most moral and the most thriving possible. You are free to do that. That's just not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples. And the way that we make disciples is real clear that we go to all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And and as we do that, we believe that the best way to do that is to remind you day in and day out of the, of the life that we couldn't live that Jesus accomplished for us, the death that we deserve that he took on his back and his resurrection from the dead being the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Amen. I, I want to recommend a uh, a book that both um, I believe the Christians who are politically conservative, pro- politically libertarian and politically progressive um, would find helpful and it's a book by senator ben sass called them why we hate each other and how to change super helpful book by a a presbyterian united states senator uh super helpful and about how uh uh our uh our propensity to engage in political infotainment to to make politics this sort of reality show that we can get so wrapped up in is so a soul crushing and we as uh as christians can watch uh fox news channel if you're on the right or msnbc on the left and just be filled with absolute despair we can be filled with triumphalism when our side is doing well or soul crushing despair when our side is not doing well we can be filled with with feelings of self-righteousness because our side is is smarter and more godly than the other side and it and so a church that preaches Christ and him crucified and calls us week after week to fix our our eyes on Jesus and what he's done on our behalf and calls us to love our neighbor in light of the gospel is uh is exactly what we need uh today it's what the church needed in the first century and it's what they need today I think it's important to um, give you a couple couple other resources. Uh, first, I, I, we're going to put all this in the show notes. The the Ten Commandments by Kevin DeYoung. I think he does a great job of doing the very thing we've been talking about here in walking us through the Ten Commandments and, and applying them ethically. Uh, another, I just put the website here. Nine Marks has a plethora of books on this. They even put a podcast out in in how how to think about. Um, interacting with your your neighbor politically when they're on the, on the other side. Jonathan Lehman has written se- several uh, wonderful resources on this. So we're going to put all those resources in the show notes for you for additional ways to kind of think think through this. Um, the AND campaign also is another great place to, to go um, and find some resources and how to think about 
about this um, in your context. We hope this is helpful. Again, we want to make sure that you don't hear something that we're not saying. So as always, um, thanks to the listener that that shot this email to us. Um, but we would always encourage you hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can message us on our website at assuranceofpardon.com. You can email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. Um, and and also uh, like, rate, and review, uh, um, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And one of the great ways to help let people know about it is to rate and review on on iTunes. That helps that helps us in all the platforms. Absolutely. So be sure. Um, as uh, one of my favorite sports uh, podcasters, uh, Bomani Jones would say, five five star reviews only. Or uh, if you give me less than a five star, I'm inclined to think you're a hater. So please don't do that. <laughs> Um, And until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.